Hi, I'm Joseph. And I'm TJ. And this is Hi-Fi. TJ, how are you doing? Uh, well, Joe, I hear that you've uh, docked yourself into place. <laughs> yes, I am locked and loaded. I am springing into action. <laughs> I, If you zoom in with magnification, you can see, I don't know, where to go with this. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. <laughs> yes. Well, we're we're going to be magnifying always... our docks for you. Yes. <laughs> I keep magnification turned off. I don't know about you. Oh, you you mean like where you scrub across it and it gets bigger and looks like a yeah sound effects that go just like that. Yeah, back in the early days when I first came to Mac OS, I thought that was a super cool feature. And to be honest, Windows couldn't do animations like that at the time. They can't it can now, but like the animation engine in Windows XP and, and previous Windows versions just wasn't great. And I think the hardware even was just to the point where it could do it. Like even early Mac OS on the early hardware could not do magnification very well. But the Mac that I got, my first Mac was a PowerBook G4 aluminum. Mm -hmm. And it did it just fine, whatever GPU it had in there. And I kept it turned on for a while, but it got annoying. And once in a while, I'll turn it on for the fun of it. And it's really annoying. And I turn it off. (laughs) It is really fun to play with. And when I got my original Macs a long time ago that could support it, I think I had the original Aqua interface uh, with a Mac Pro. Yeah. Wow, that was forever ago. And they didn't even call this interface Aqua anymore. No, no. And it, it was called Aqua because everything was glossy and transparent and blue. Lickable, Joe. It's lickable. Mm-hmm. I, I, I pictured that it was all flavored like blue raspberry or blueberry candy. I wonder if Mac OS still does the thing where when you hold down shift and you click minimize... Oh, no, it doesn't do it. Oh, so it used to be. Catalina? Mm. Yeah, so I'm on Catalina, but in, I don't know when this stopped, but it used to be if you held down shift, maybe it's option. Let me try option. Nope. So it was either shift or option. It was a, some modifier key you could hold down and press the minimize and it would slowly, oh, so slowly suck down in the dock and you can watch every bit of the animation just in slow motion. Yeah, it was beautiful. I don't know if you ever played with that. Yeah, I did all the time. Yeah, it doesn't do that anymore. I nope, used to it do all, it was so unique that Mac OS did this sort of thing because it was really one of the first operating systems, if not the first operating system. I don't want to speak out of term, but as far as I know, Mac OS 10 was the first operating system to do all that cool stuff. And it's, it's wrote, you know, it, it's all, everybody does that stuff now, but you know, Mac OS was, uh, Mac OS 10 at the time, uh, was the, the, the thing that did that sort of thing. And the only one, anyway, before we talk about that, Joe, I wanted to yeah. just have a quick kind of topic about how I'm doing audiobooks with pocket casts now. Okay. Um, when I, I, I have been using audible for some time. Yeah. Um, we have a subscription, uh, through Amazon and audible and however all that stuff works. I don't know. The integration leaves a little bit to be desired since Amazon acquired audible. Um, it's so used to be Rachel and I just shared my audible account and, and we still have to actually, because even though Amazon has, um, the idea of different users, but one paid, uh, account that only that doesn't trickle down to audible and prime video and various other services. So it's really frustrating. Like, so for Amazon itself, you know, on when you're shopping on the site, Rachel and I can have our different accounts and we don't clutter each other's like recommendations and stuff up. But when it comes to Audible, um, Amazon acquired Audible, but the and you log in with your Amazon account, 
But Rachel does that and she can't see any of the books that we've bought. So, and many of the books are her books, not mine. And so we have to share the Audible account. Well, at some point, the Audible app um, stopped asking, do you want to go to X time in your book where you're, where, that was last played? And it used to be you could just say no. Well, now it just does it automatically. So if she's listening to the same book that I am, you got trouble. <laughs> Yeah. And so we've had to turn off WhisperSync, and that gets really annoying when you're trying to listen sometimes on my watch and sometimes on the phone. And so it's just incredibly annoying. On top of which, syncing a book to the watch requires a little bit of voodoo, um, some chicken feet, and a moon has to be aligned just right. And you have to put the watch on the charger, and it has to be right next to the phone, and then it'll take hours to sync a book over. It's really bad. So what I have done is I have, and this is, I just started doing this today. So this is all very trial runny, but it seems to be working is pocket casts has this idea, much like overcast has the same idea. If you are a premium subscriber has this idea of file sync so that you can on the web interface, which is, or at least this is the way I do it on the web interface. You can just drag and drop a file uh, over onto the uh, web interface app. And if it's an MP3 file or something that it understands, it'll upload it. And then you can download it in your various other apps and play it. And of course, because it's a podcast app, it'll track where you're at. Um, one thing I haven't checked, I should check if it understands chapters in those files. So um, let's see here. So uh, when you say understanding chapters in those files, you mean like you have one audiobook file from beginning to end and it has chapter markers? Well, the the uh, file did in other in the Audible app. So I'm just wondering. Um, I'm going to files, and I'm clicking there. And if I go up there, oh, it does. It does have the chapters. Now the chapters nice. aren't named the way they were in Audible, but that's fine. I can live with that. Um, so basically. I am using the file uploads. And, and the other thing that annoyed me anyway about using Audible, but then also my podcast app, Pocket Casts, is if I only had about 10 or 15 minutes remaining, or maybe five minutes even, remaining on a podcast, and then mm-hmm. I would like to go to my audiobook, but I was uh, putting it on sleep mode, well, then I would have to pick up my phone if I wasn't asleep yet and switch it over to the other app. <laughs> and that was annoying. So now it's all in the same app. So I'm trialing this. I'm going to see how it works. Am I crazy, Joe? No, not at all. I've run into some of the same issues. And occasionally I wind up with an audiobook that I would like to listen to somewhere. But I don't have an audio player for audiobooks independent. I don't like to go exploring for an audiobook player that can do just that one thing. And it's tedious to import audio files into an app over the phone. In my past experience, maybe it's way better now for some app I'm unaware of. So what I was doing was using an Overcast account, like you were suggesting, importing, uploading into the Overcast account. Those files were typically podcasts that I were producing in advance. I wanted to hear them, make sure that they Uh. were all good. But I couldn't imagine adding an entire audiobook to Overcast because it felt like overkill and... If I, uh, one thing that may frequently happen while I'm listening to an audiobook is I'll zone out. And if it comes to the end of the file in Overcast and it's played to the end, then it's just going to remove it from your Overcast account online, I believe. Because it played it to the end, it automatically deletes it. Maybe that's because of my settings in Overcast. Well, I was going to say that is a setting, and you can set that per podcast and in, in Pocket Cast. I don't know about Overcast. Okay. I haven't used Overcast in a while. But in Pocket Cast, you can say delete from my device or delete from the cloud and your device or don't do anything at the end. Okay. 
Long story short, cut to the end of the chase. I actually just discovered the files manager in Pocket Casts myself earlier today. I had no idea that you were using it this way. I had no idea you were going to bring it up. <laughs> nice. But yeah, it's, it, it, it's great because I wanted to move over to this because I tried to do the same trick again today in Overcast Online over my desktop, go in there, upload a, a podcast file, and the feature was missing. So I said, oh, I guess I'm not using Overcast to do that anymore. So I are went you over a, here. You have to be a premium subscriber to Overcast, are you? Perhaps that's why I had the annual membership, and I think that I told it to cancel a while ago ah. because I decided earlier this year I wanted to go into membership with Pocket Casts. So I got the desktop application and everything. It works really good. So yeah, very I, happy you with know. That. I, I like Marco. I like ATP. I like, all, you know, but I, I have found Overcast to be the reason I've switched is, I, well, there's, I was on Android for a while too, but like even before switch, going to um, Android, I found Overcast my, at the time before I switched to Android, my podcast player of choice, I found it to be buggy and weird. And I picked it up today just comparing some features and stuff and it's still buggy. It's a little bit different looking in different ways. It's a different app in some ways. He's changed some things around, but I was trying to delete when I, when I opened up the app, all my subscriptions in my account were still there, and I tried to uh, delete all the podcasts, and like it would just freeze and stop and mess up, and Pocket Casts never does that to me. So, hmm. yeah, I think it's still just a little bit buggy and not quite as polished as Pocket Casts, which is strange because you, I always thought one of the things about, at least in the early days, one of the things about Overcast was how polished it was. So, anyway, if yeah. you use Overcast, that's fine. I just, everybody has different experiences. Um, and I think it's, I still think in many ways it's a great app, so... Uh, I just prefer Pocket Cast. Question for you. Yes. How are you getting your audiobooks? Are you just buying them outright and downloading the audio files, or are you somehow using your Audible membership? I actually put this in the show notes and almost forgot to mention it. Um, I Okay, so we have a, a membership to Audible, so we get one credit a month. Uh, we can buy books outright if we want to and spend money, or we can just use the money for our account and use the credits as they come up and buy books. You, it's usually, unless it's, a, it's a, an odd book, it's usually one credit equals one book. And that's 14-something a month, and books are usually 20-something, so depending on the book. So it's certainly a savings, as long as you're going to be using the credits, it makes sense. Now, um, of course, if you're using the Audible app, you can just download any book that you have ever purchased with a credit or purchased with money. However, if you're going to do something like what I'm doing, um, one of the things you'll find is you can, you can download the files from Audible on the website. You just go download, and if it's a large book, you can download it in parts which is nice, which is what I'll do for this, which is what I did do for this. I'm listening to a large book right now, and I, I downloaded all – it was split into three parts, so you, so you full download or parts one, two, and three. And so I did that because there's a one gigabyte limit on the file uploads for Pocket Cast, and the book was 1.4 gigabytes, I think, all, all put together. So anyway, uh, but what you'll find is when you download the book from audible.com that it is a AAX file, which A, Pocket Cast doesn't understand, and B, is DRM protected. You can play it in apps like Apple's uh, Books app um, because it, you log in with your Audible account and then uh, apparently Apple and Audible have an agreement because it'll talk to Audible servers and get the key to play, you know, to decrypt and play the, the file. That, of course, won't work with Pocket Cast. So what I found is this app, but it has a really, really, really terrible interface, but it does the job. <laughs> it is called Open Audible. And uh, you can either d- download directly, which I found to be buggy, or you can import files that you've downloaded manually, which is what I'm doing. So I download the files uh, from 
um, from audible.com in my account, the AAX files, and then I import them into Open Audible, and then you can convert them to MP3. Um, it took maybe 45 minutes to convert the whole book because it's a large book. Um, and my fan on my laptop, I'm currently, I usually use my Hackintosh, but I'm currently using my laptop because I have the Hackintosh booted into Windows for various work reasons. And so anyway, it took the laptop about 45 minutes and the fans spun up for a while, but, uh, it did the job. I uploaded it to Pocket Cast and downloaded it on both my watch and my phone. And that all went super smooth and that's how I'm doing it. I like the idea. I don't like going through the hassle of converting the files unless I put them into some place where the conversion could take place automatically for me, kind of automate well, the system. You, so I actually have Open Audible set up anytime I import an AAX file. So basically the only manual part is downloading from audible.com. And then you go to um, you go to Open Audible, the app, and you say import this AAX file, and then it will convert it to MP3 in the background. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so it, it at least takes away that I don't have to click buttons and determine settings. It just does it, and then once it's done, I can then drag it into... So it's certainly still manual, but, you know, it's not too bad. It's fine. And and, and the nice thing with books is you're usually listening to them for a couple weeks at a time. So it's not like you have to do this all the time. The good news, too, is that if you do find this problem with Audible's apps in the future, you don't like the whisper syncing causing that issue for you, you can go into settings and disable the sync playback position across your devices. And Yes, but that has other annoyances. How so? Well, like I said, if you want to sync between devices, like I have a couple of different devices I might be listening on, but I don't mm-hmm. have whisper sync anymore. So because Rachel is also listening and she's logged in with the same account because... Uh, Amazon's terrible about multi-account stuff. So, okay, so you're yeah. you're playing back your audiobooks not just from Pocket Casts on your phone, but also on other devices like your iPad or your desktop. Or, iPad, desktop, yeah. watch. Yeah, it, it, it's okay. all, yeah. If I were doing the same thing, that would definitely be a problem. But it, yeah. as it is, I just get my audiobooks on my phone. So yep. I get it. There's different use cases out there. You want to talk about what's on our docs, Joe? Yes, I'm ready. Sir, tell me, what is a dock and a dock. why do you use it? So a dock is going to be the same thing these days, more or less, as the, for instance, the Windows taskbar where you pin your favorite apps. It's the same sort of thing. Why um, is it called the taskbar? I figured it would be called something like the start bar, the start no, dock. No, it's, it's always been, it's, forever it's always been the taskbar. People um, incorrectly call it the, t- the start bar because it has the start menu. Uh, which isn't even labeled the start menu anymore. I think it's still technically called the start menu, but but it's the taskbar. And starting, I think, in Vista, it, or it may have been Windows 8, I don't remember, you could, um, it, it became much more like the dock. So previously, you'd have these uh, long, like, task items in Windows XP and previously um, that were kind of longish, and you couldn't pin things there, and so it wasn't a launcher so much as just what your running tasks were. That's why it was called the taskbar. Uh, these days... Um, tasks so to speak applications that are open are about the a little size of a, of a dock item depending on how big your dock is on mac os and um you can pin them there just like you can with the dock where you can say keep in dock with an application um and so it serves the same purpose and in fact there are things i like better about the taskbar because it starts on a side of the screen and it doesn't it does not destroy muscle memory as things get added to the dock one frustration I have with the dock on Mac OS is that it is all centered and you cannot anymore. You used to be able to do a preference, although I never used it because it had that had itself had issues. 
And I know the left and right doctors are going to come after me, come at me. I, I still just, it needs to be on the bottom of the screen. I get lost if it's not. And, and I have three monitors and I don't want to reach way over to the side of one or the other to get to it. Anyway, if it's on the bottom, it's centered. And then um, as things are added to the dock, things move around. And so it sort of doesn't use muscle memory the way that I would like. <laughs> so it's a little frustrating that way. There's a lot, I feel like there's a lot in macOS that uh, people, that we that we learned back in the day that has been forgotten. And muscle memory is certainly one of those things. Yeah. And in fact, one of the things I like about macOS is, believe it or not, the thing that is one of the most um, derided, is that the word I'm looking for, despised by Windows users, is the top menu bar, which never moves. And so muscle memory is well-preserved there. You flick up to a certain part of the screen and everything's always in the same place. Unless you're living like a crazy person since I think it's Mojave and you went into general and turned off your menu bar or something like that. Yeah, I don't. But even if you do, it's still in the same place. You just hover and it it, it comes down. That's, so that's not a big right. deal. Uh, anyway, I'm getting off into the weeds about user experience that I think Apple could improve. The dock is where your frequently used applications live when you say keep in dock. Um, the first thing you should know about my doc, and there'll be screenshots of our docs and, and various applications that we don't care about leaking data from in the uh, show notes uh, at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash six. Um, no, the first thing you'll notice about my doc is that I have these little dividers in my doc. These are not something that Apple lets you do. What I have, what I found is an application called Vertical Bar. And really the only point of that application is it doesn't do anything. It's just a nothing application and it has an icon. And so you can duplicate that I, that application to your heart's content and put it in the dock, and it will show a little divider. Question. What do you mean by duplicate the application? So are you just like have – it's like as though you went into your applications folder, selected Safari, and told it to duplicate it and duplicate it and duplicate it, only it's another application That's you're right. doing this That's right. Because, okay. because on macOS, um, you can only have one application running – one instance of an application running at a time – and you can only have one application, you know, in your dock. So one item from that location in your dock. I actually don't keep it in the applications folder, but that's neither here nor there. So if you want multiple dividers, you just click, you know, in the finder, you do command D when you have the application highlighted and it'll duplicate it. And that's how I have multiple dividers. And then you'll notice on the end of the dock is a double bar where I created a custom icon and made it that app's icon. This is a little bit of nerdery here. Um, because anything after that double bar is actually an app that I do not have kept in my dock, but happens to be open. So then it'll appear in the dock and I want to be able to differentiate, is that app in the dock or not? Well, that's smart. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's the first thing you notice about my dock and it's not, it's not weird stuff. It's just a, a dummy application creating a, a, a divider. So I have my dock divided into sections, if you will. In the first section is um, what I would call general utility apps, and there are only two apps here. Uh, whoa, there's whoa, Finder. Whoa, 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 whoa. When you say yes. the first section, it's not the far most left section. Yes, the far most left section. Okay. Oh, okay. I see where you're going with this now. All right. Continue. Yeah. It's it used to be just Finder over here, and um, but then at, when I started podcasting again, I put my application Mutify over here. So I have Finder and Mutify. Finder, everybody knows what that is, right? If you're from Windows, it's called Windows Explorer. It's it's your file system. It's how you get around, you navigate around the hard drives. Um, and so, I obviously you can't move Finder in the macOS dock. It's always on the left, and so that's far most left. And then Mutify 
I basically start up on Monday nights, or if we're recording Tuesday night, I uh, started up Tuesday night. It gives me a hotkey to mute my mic so that I can cough or drink or whatever and uh, take a sip of my wine, and you won't notice. <laughs> um, what Do you have an application that you uh, use to mute yourself, or do you want to say anything about Finder and or Mutify? I have used a mute application before, but it's been a while, and I keep forgetting that I want to get another one. So I'm looking at this one right now. And if you think of it the same way like you are, the Finder feels like such a different beast from all the other applications that for a long time I kept the settings app over there by Finder because they they have a unique relationship like brother and sister on the Mac. I... I don't keep the settings app on the dock anymore because my launching application is so handy to drill down into specific menus with a quick search that is faster than even using the dock. And the Finder is one app where you can't take it out of the dock and you can't move it to anywhere else in the dock. It's a it's <laughs> it's got that magnification or uh, magnetic force that makes it left justified. And that's okay, yeah. but I kind of wish Apple would let us have the flexibility with it that we have every every other item on the dock besides the trash can. You know, it's funny. I and I, I agree. I think Apple should let you move it around, but I wouldn't if if I were allowed to because I have like just since the beginning days of the Mac, the Finder and and Finder. You know, in in one way, as far as like the most technical part of it, it is just another app. It's not like the old Mac OS classic uh, application. Uh, it's not like classic Mac OS where Finder and the operating system were one thing. In in the next step uh, version of the, you know, this operating system's roots are from the next step operating system. And in that it's just another app. But it is like central to the interacting with Mac, um, the Finder. And so it makes sense. Um, yeah, I wouldn't move it if I were allowed to, but I think Apple should let you move it. As far as the system preferences, um, it's funny, I don't think of it as a dock thing. I mean, I know it's just another application, but to me, it lives up in the Apple menu. It always has. That's how I get to system preferences. Um, yep. And I just don't see any point in it taking up space in my dock. And I'm not in system preferences very much, where I am in the Finder all the time. So, yeah, I don't keep system preferences in my dock. Um, yeah, so moving on, I have my next section, which I guess would be kind of the connections and productivity section. Uh, so the first section in there is pages, which actually did not live here until we started, until I started podcasting again. And you and I used to use Google Docs um, when we podcasted years ago. And when then you and I started this podcast, uh, I said, hey, let's try the pages collaboration, which wasn't a thing when we used to podcast and it is now. It's been fine, although I have to say with today's show notes, I wanted to scream. <laughs> pages has <laughs> been a, a hot mess for putting images in. I did discover something that I don't think you've discovered yet, Joe, oh, yeah? which is which is you can click on the 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 um the, you can click on the image and then uh-huh. click on the arrange thing in the information panel and then click move with text and then in text wrap you can say inline with text, which is what I want. <laughs> I don't know how that's not the default, but anyway. Oh, yeah, I, I bet you could do a command A to select all images and do it universally to everything all at once. That'd be great. Potentially. Anyway, Pages is equal parts great and frustrating. It's like many Apple things. If you stay on the surface and the features that you that are most used and you stay within the rails that Apple has provided, it will be fine. If you try to do anything 
like advanced or even say the word advanced or even think in your head, I'd like to do something most people don't do, it's going to fall flat on its face. That is very much the apple of modern time. (laughs) (laughs) It's very frustrating. But pages is fine. Um, I also have Microsoft Word, which I don't keep in my doc, by the way, for various reasons. Sometimes I'll get a document that can only be opened in Word. And most often at work, I use Google Docs. But what is in my doc right now is Pages. Um, What do you think about Pages? I like it a lot. I just don't have a lot of uses for preparing files in this manner anymore. Pages makes a lot of sense still for my children prepare some uh, assignments for school in Pages. It is so clean and great for sort of the experience of desktop publishing, which hardly anyone is doing anymore. But that col- yeah, see, I wouldn't use it for desktop publishing at all. I use InDesign mm-hmm. for, for that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to get by with something simple, and InDesign could be... I, I actually use InDesign just because it's far more professional. But if I wanted to get just by with the, you know, like, I don't want to say prosumer level grade material, but it's kind of prosumer. Anyway, pages. Uh, I like it. I don't have many use cases for it because I don't like to... I remember years ago, people would have tons of documents in their document folder, all of them different pages files. Maybe they were even managing something like their journal and each page or file was a different journal entry. And I just don't like it. It feels so clunky by today's standards that if you're going to use it, it's mostly good for invoices, quick letters, resumes, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fine. One thing that I find frustrating, this is true with Word, with Google Docs, and with Pages, is it is very much 8.5 by 11 oriented, or you, you can set the page size, but you get my point. It is very much page oriented. I mean, and it's even in the name, right? Pages. And yet, they're the only tools that are good for collaborating on documents together. Pages or Google Docs, and I think even Word does it now. And you and I need to collaborate on documents together. But like, we don't care about the eight and a half by 11 page. I wish I could get rid of that entire paradigm and just say, you know what? It's just, you know, it just goes on until we stop. (laughs) And I don't care about printing. And none of these apps do that as far as I know. I looked around for it in pages and it appears to be not possible. I don't know about Google Docs. It used to not be possible. I don't know if they've made it possible in recent times. Anyway. That's pages. We got to move a little faster, I think. Moving on in my productivity section, the next app is Bear. Um, as you know, I've spent a lot of time in the wilderness outside of the Apple ecosystem, or at least I was using a Mac a lot, but because my phone was an Android and I spent a lot of time in Windows and I didn't have an iPad until recently, uh, earlier this year, I couldn't use Bear, um, which was one of the biggest bummers of leaving Apple for a while is Bear is a fantastic notes app. Um, it is, it is by far my favorite. I always keep it in markdown mode because I always, I just think in markdown now for writing Mm -hmm. notes and, um, the tagging system is exactly what I want out of a notes app I can have. And basically your notes are, think of it like Gmail, your notes are all in a repository and then you tag them, um, in, you know, into whatever categories you want. So a note can exist in multiple tags if you want it to or not. And it's really great. Um, I, I just find it fits my way of thinking very well. I find I can I can go back to old notes because I can find them very easy. The search works very well. Very happy with Bear. It is on any Apple platform, so I use it on my phone, my iPad, and my Mac. The only place it's not where I sometimes am is Windows, but I I can still set up my iPad if I'm if I'm on Windows. 
and I can still get to my notes there on my desk. But what I've been doing recently, even which we'll probably get to more when I when I talk about Microsoft Remote Desktop in my um, in my doc, is I've been remote desktoping from my laptop, which is Mac, into Windows to do my Windows work. And uh, so I'm not really leaving the Mac anymore, hardly at all. So it's Excellent. been really great. I love I love Bear. One of the other great things about this application, I've been using it for years too, by the way. It, it, I, I love the design of the app. It is m- more pleasing because even if you're if you're into what is it like a a dark gray quasi black white interface with red highlights it's a great three column layout with all of your file organization in a dark column then your list view next to that like you were saying like email to the right of that you have an open note but if you don't like that, they have so many d- different color schemes for the entire interface. It's very colorful and playful like that. And then it has a lot of powerful things like now you can do links within notes one to another. And I, I, it's it's really slick. Pinning notes, I, I feel like Apple Notes is a lesser version, a a really hampered, uh, handicapped version of Bear. And Bear just comes in with superpowers. Yeah, it's it's almost apples and oranges, though, because I see what I did there, apples and oranges. Um, Because Notes, the Notes app in uh, iOS is just so underpowered, and it it does hardly anything. The only thing I use it for, and this is strange, the only thing I use Apple's Notes for is, so when I was on Android... The Google Docs or the Google Drive app um, had a scan option. The Google Drive app on um, on iPhone does not, and but but strangely, the only place this functionality exists um, in iOS is the Native Notes app. And so, what I will do if I need to scan a document is I will use the Native Notes app, go through all that rigmarole. It's a little bit of a confusing process, but you can kind of make it work. And then I'll usually airdrop it to my Mac because usually, if I'm scanning something, I'm needing to do something with that document on my Mac. Uh, if not, I can put it directly in Bear, but I'll airdrop it to my Mac and then put it in Bear. Or if I'm putting something in InDesign, I'll put it in InDesign or whatever. Uh, that's the only reason I use um, Apple Notes. Otherwise, I use Bear. All right, moving on in my doc next is Todoist and still in my productivity section. Um, I really love Todoist. Um, it kind of, and, and then they recently added a feature, which, um, I've wanted for a while. I didn't even like, I've used, um, this, uh, what, uh, Kanban style board in the past, but it wasn't something I even thought too much about in terms of my to do's until they gave it to me. And now I couldn't live without it. So, um, I, I use this Kanban style, uh, board for most of my stuff. So I'll have a to do doing an on hold, uh, section, you know, uh, columns in my to do's. And uh, then of course I just check them off when they're done. And so I don't need a done column. I don't need to see it once it's done. Um, there's lots of different ways to think about Kanban. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, I just, I, I, I love to do this. I don't know what else to say about it. It's, uh, and it's actually, so it has a web app, um, so you can get to it anywhere, but I primarily use the app on the Mac and then the app on my phone and iPad. Uh, so that's, that's to doist. It's a beautiful application. I've used it off and on over the years. I really like it. The one thing I've said that I I don't want to make out to be a big deal. It's just a, a minor detail. As a designer with some experience designing a few apps myself, I, I am very particular about how I like them. And 
I feel like Todoist feels to me what I would interpret as a web application, even on the desktop of a Mac. And it, it doesn't feel quite at home like I would like my favorite doc apps to be. So mm-hmm. even though Todoist is great and I would rank it very highly, it's not one of my daily to-do productivity drivers. Teach his own. Uh, moving yeah. on, Spark. Uh, you will be pleased, I guess, to know that my trial of coming back to Apple Mail has failed spectacularly, and I am back on Spark. There are things I don't like about it, but it's a fine application, and it does email just fine for me. Um, So I'm on Spark on all my devices now, except, of course, for Windows, where Spark doesn't exist. And again, I'm spending all my time on the Mac. Anyway, um, I, you know, the unified inbox is useful, I suppose, sometimes, but I wind up just keeping the inbox triangle, this, you know, drop down, and I spend time in either my personal or my, um, or my work email. Uh, oh, I just realized I should um, I should probably uh, gray the or, or redact those before I put this in the show notes. I'll I'll do that. <laughs> I don't want my email addresses out there <laughs> quite like that. Um, so anyway, I was looking. I was so focused on what was in my inbox and did I care when I took the screenshot. Um, anyway, I'll redact that or or else not put it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> so um, so yeah. So Spark is my email app. It is it is pretty much what I want an email app. The one thing I would say that is frustrating is about every other day I will have to re-add my... Um, so, okay, so nothing shows up in the sidebar unless it's a favorite, uh, other than, like, you have sent drafts, pins, which is flags, and archive. And then under more, generally what I want is I just want to have my list of of various mailboxes from my applications. And so I just star the root, right, of my accounts so that I can easily drop stuff into into my organization scheme. And I find about every other day or maybe every third day, my favorites are just gone and I have to re-add the favorites. And it's only two mailboxes, but it annoys me. Um, So yeah, that's like a bug. Although it hasn't done it in a couple of days, so maybe there was an update and they fixed it. I don't know. Um, I do find little bugs like that crop up and spark, but it is basically, um, I have been on a quest. um, What was that email app that was the first of this kind of email app? Do you remember it was, oh, it was back in the day. Airmail? Um, no, it was before Am- Airmail. I'm trying to remember the name of the app, and it finally stopped Sparrow. working on macOS. Sparrow, that's the one I loved. Sparrow so much, Me and too. I knew, I knew when Gmail acquired, when Google acquired them, that they were going the way of the dodo. And sure enough, they've they're gone. And I refused to give up for a while, but it just eventually got too buggy and stopped working on various iterations of macOS. And this is the I would say Spark is the closest in spirit to it Sparrow. It, it, it feels more buggy and sometimes than Sparrow ever did. When Sparrow was working, it was great. I use like maybe half the features of Spark. I wish they would just maybe pare it down a little bit, but I'm sure other people use the features. And once you, this is the problem with features and you have to be really careful as a software developer. Once you introduce a feature, you must support it forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, Spark is fine. Um, I was interested in an, in an email application. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it, it was, um, uh, one of the people who used to work on the Apple Mail team created an application specifically for Gmail, uh, but that looked and behaved a lot like the macOS Mail app. But I found that I just I actually prefer Spark. So um, anyway, Spark is my email app. It's very normal to me. I I love Spark. I've been using it regularly. I uh, it. It is an example, like you were saying, where you can use it for just a handful of the features. 
or you can go into a deep dive as a pro user. And I don't do more email than I have to. So I'm only using a handful of those features and I'm thrilled by how well it works. And I love to be able to swipe right and left for various actions on the items in the list. You know, one of the things I love about Spark and Todoist is there is some integration between the two. Um, and so I can actually say, this email, I want to come back to it, but I don't want it to be in my inbox anymore. So put it in oh, Todoist. Yeah. That's good. And, but yeah. it'll link it. It'll link it so that you can click on it and bring the email back up. And that that works across devices. So if it's if it's linked in my Todoist and I have Spark on, on the iPhone and Todoist on the iPhone, then I click on the link and it'll open that email and Spark on the iPhone. So it, that that sort of integration is what brought me back to Spark because um, I realized I was really missing that when I was on Apple Mail. Speaking of which, that is one thing that I think uh, the third-party developers really took advantage of in the last 10 years because originally there were not the app parability across the different devices. Now we've got all the apps on all the different devices, the Apple Watch, the iPad, the iPhone, the Mac, and it's wonderful. So if you can do things like with iOS 14, set Spark to be your default mail client, that is great because I'll use Spark across everything. Yeah, I've set it to be my default email client on all my devices now that Apple lets you do that. But like, it's been so long since I've that's been an issue for me because like mail to links just really don't do much. Any, like there's, they're not around much anymore. Every once in a while, I'll still click on one and it brings up my mail app, but it's pretty rare these days. Hmm. So I, uh, we need to move a little faster. Um, Fantastic Cal is next. Um, I like it better than the built-in calendar app. I kind of for a while wished, and I still wish, that Google provided on the desktop a um, a view to all of your accounts' calendars. Like the iOS Google Calendar app, I could probably live with that, or the or the Android Google Calendar app, I could probably live with that because it does show you all of your accounts in, all, in one app. Unfortunately, if you want to get a view of your work calendar and your personal calendar in one view, you can't do it with the web app for Google Calendar. Um, so... Primarily what got me into Fantastical was I needed an app that was better than the built-in calendar app that showed me all of my calendars if I wanted it to in one view so that I can see when I look at my day view or my week view, what is taking up time or what what, what are my appointments and, and what is on my calendar. Um, but it turns out Fantastical is really <laughs> fantastic. And so, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy Fantastical. I do have the premium subscription, so it does show me weather and things like that. And it syncs, uh, it syncs across my devices, um, everything, uh, my preferences, my accounts that I have logged into and all that stuff. It just syncs it and it's, it's really good. Fantastical is brilliant. One of the things is I really feel like this is one application where I like how uh, robust it is mostly just for the natural language but i also find that it's easier to manipulate the entries on the days on the hours if i'm looking at the week view on the mac or on the ipad so i prefer fantastical for having a gorgeous design it's always had a great design and it's felt like the simple things like drag and drop were more consistent and reliable in fantastical so as long as I could remember, I've had Fantastical on my dock. Yeah, yeah, it's a great app. So then the final thing in the productivity section is Contacts. It's the native Contacts app. I use it just enough to keep it in my dock, but I don't huh. have much to say about it. It's fine. 
I occasionally need to look up people and uh, that's it. (laughs) You're a social creature and you, Uh, you can still social distance with a context book. Sure. Do you, I assume you do not have this in your doc? No, no. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm really inconsistent with using the address book. I I use Card Hop on my iOS uh, devices. I don't uh, on the Mac, and I I probably should. But the address book gets me by. Yeah, same here. I I've tried Card Hop, and I didn't feel like paying the money for it. And and it's you know gone, the contacts, the native contacts functionality does just fine for me. It all syncs with my Google account. It's fine. Um, okay. So in my, I have my next section, I only have two apps. They are messaging apps. So Slack is where I live and die in terms of messaging, uh, because I work remotely. And then right now the entire company's remote anyway, like, um, Slack is just where all the just general water cooler communication or communication in general that needs to be in semi real time happens. Um, I know a lot of people have various issues with the Slack app. I think it's fine. Um, and they've added features to it lately that have, have been really good, such as being able to resize certain sidebar elements. Um, it's, it's a really great app and, and well, at least in what it enables, it's a, it's a, it's a good enough app in terms of its design and it's a great app in terms of what it enables, which is remote work. Um, and so, yeah, that's, it's good. I keep it in light mode. There's various themes. I keep it in light mode. I'm a light mode guy. Um, it, I'm, my eyes, I think we've discussed this before. My eyes are backwards of literally every other person I know. I like (laughs) dark, I like dark themes and dark modes, but they tend to make my eyes very tired very quickly. So I do light mode. Do you use Slack at all? I do not. I I have a few slacks, but I only go in there when I have a reason to communicate with those teams. Hmm. And so it's not on uh, my dock on a regular basis. I usually keep it open in a tab in my browser of choice, Brave. Ah, I see. Okay. And then the other messaging app that I use uh, just all the time, uh, communicate with you, uh, my sister, my wife, uh, some church folks, uh, friends, uh, another couple other developers that I don't see on a regular basis, but contact them all the time. Uh, that's the messages app. I'm really looking forward to the day when I can upgrade to Big Sur and get all the newer features, uh, that, that are missing. Like if I want to do a gift search, I have to pick up my phone because it doesn't exist on the messages app on the Mac. Nevertheless, messages on the Mac is primarily where I use messages because I'm at my computer all day long. And of course, now that I'm back on iPhone, um, this is where all my messages are. I used to have to use a web app to do SMS on Android, which was fine, but it was just another app. Um, so now that I'm, you know, cause I have text relay turned on on my phone and so it shows up on all my devices. So it's really good. It's a fine app. It, the thing about messages is that it has gotten consistently better over time. And I'm excited to use things like reply in big Sur, but I, I feel like it's just stagnant compared to a lot of the other messaging platforms. So it's okay. It's nothing to get excited about. It's sort of like Apple's notes to me. Uh, comparing it to other note-taking apps versus other messaging apps. And this is Apple across the board when it comes to applications. You know, a funny thing about Apple, I want to say that their attitude towards hardware is they want to give you great quality experiences, very premium experiences. And in a way, they're wanting to give you products that they believe are the best of the best with a lot of viable features. When it comes to their software, they are more conservative. They want it to be ultra reliable, but they want it also to have less features and guarantee that it's going to be reliable. So this is one of those times where I wish the app had better features. 
But see, the thing is, I would only say that about messages on the Mac, and I think it's just because they've been pushing messages on the phone forward, but it's it's a different app. And with the um, the frameworks that they're bringing in Big Sur, uh, well, they've actually brought them in Catalina. They just hadn't moved the app over. But they're bringing Catalyst to the Mac, or they're bringing messages to the Mac, the iOS version of messages, via Catalyst in Big Sur. And I think it'll be much less stagnant because I don't feel like messages on, on iPhone or, or, or iPad is stagnant because they are pushing features forward there. And the nice thing about messages is, you know, most people like what's uh, WhatsApp and, and Telegram. Those are hard to get people. That's hard to get traction because that's an app that people have to go install. And some people have Telegram and some people have WhatsApp and some people have Facebook messages and some people have uh, Keybase and uh, whatever all these. It's like, <laughs> oh, my word. And so it's just everybody has messages, though, because it comes on the phone. So it, it has traction that way, and I just find it's the path of least resistance. And it's it's pretty good, you know, on the Mac, and it's really great on the iPhone. Um, I wish it would support features that like Markdown, so that I could do like code blocks and stuff. But you know, it's never going to have those features. So you know, it is what it is. Moving on to my next section, this is sort of the I don't know how to describe this section, and I don't even know why these apps are necessarily related. I don't know where else I would put them. So this is sort of the browsers, music, and one password. <laughs> So, um, 1Password is the next app in my doc, and um, I do not know what I would do without 1Password because I share passwords. uh, You know, password security is something that's very important as we move on and on into the uh, modern world. And, you know, the days where we could use 1Password for all of our accounts is over. Because, Joe... I don't know if you knew this, but there are these th- people called hackers, and they will get a hold of passwords. And there's 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 certain websites that have really bad password security. So your password is only as secure if you're using one password across all your accounts. Your password is only as secure as the weakest link. And I can tell you that there are a lot of sites that should not be, but do store your password in plain text. They don't store a hash; they store the password in plain text, and then they get hacked. The database is stolen, and now people can gain access to any account using that password, and that's not good. One password, everybody should be using it or something like it. It generates a unique password per uh, account, or you can't, that's the way you should be using it. So whatever you have in in your one password, uh, you should have a unique password for it. And then you have a master password into one password. You should guard that with your life. You should not let it out anywhere. You should only use it on one password, and it should be very long and it should be uh, have a lot of characters and things in it. Um, and it should probably be a phrase that means something only to you <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I actually, mine is actually pattern-based, um, but it is it is very long and it would not be easily guessable. Uh, anyway, um, but just aside from that, like sharing passwords and accounts, like, and, and if something were to happen to me uh, and my wife needed access to all my stuff, uh, then she can go into my one password and she knows my master password and she can get to it and same vice versa. And I have, uh, accounts that are shared and vaults that are shared with people that I organize a conference with and work uses one password. And so it is just like, you know, when we have logins at work and, and so one of the problems that this solves too is, uh, more and more two factor authentication is becoming a thing. And, it's not a great solution because it's nerdy and it requires, oh, it just requires you to think a little bit, but it's becoming necessary because hackers. And so one two, two-factor authentication verifies that you are present and it's using a, a code that changes every 30 seconds. And so, you know, you have to have access to that code. It's not something that's, that, that is always the same. And so it's just an added layer of security. And the nice thing is when you're sharing passwords in a team, one password 
has this two-factor auth built in, and so whoever needs to access it can. It's really good. It's a really, really great app and service. 1Password has been around now for many years. I don't know if it was the first of its kind, but it feels like the original, at least to it's the... It's certainly the best of its kind. And one of the earliest. And I love it. I've been using it faithfully across devices. I'm happy to have a subscription for this application. Just earlier last week, my wife was saying, I need to start doing 1Password, I think. And I was like, yes, all of that evangelism has finally paid off. She's going to join the ranks of 1Password. Yeah, uh, I had had to drag my wife kicking and screaming into the 1Password ecosystem. Yeah. The the one thing I, I don't know why this happened, but I tried to set her up with a a a plan, a membership. And right off the bat, what I wanted to do was convert my individual membership plan into a family one. And I couldn't figure it out. So I spent about 15 minutes on it, could not figure out how to make that transition. So I actually have it on my to-do list to go back and figure out how to get a family account so I can. I would recommend that you contact their support if you have any trouble at all. At all, they are fantastic. They were very responsive. They will do anything for you. I can't say enough good things about their support. I have a. I run a conference that is a nonprofit. We make. We usually lose money on the conference. We're usually us organizers are putting money in and not getting it back out. Um, and we needed to share passwords and I didn't want a third rate service. So I was just going to pay for it myself, but I contacted one password and said, Hey, so we've set up this thing. We're a nonprofit and they comped the account. They basically just said, Oh no, no problem. We'll just, you know, here you go. Really great. I can't guarantee they'll do that for you. I probably shouldn't even be saying this. I'm not going to say what organization it is, but like, I'm just so happy with one. like, Like I'm a customer of life. I am theirs and I pay for my family account. It is, it is wonderful. So if you're having trouble converting your individual to a family, I would recommend contacting them for sure. Nice. Next in my doc is the Apple Music app, formerly iTunes. Um, I That's am where you Apple have all of your entertainment locked under one password. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm an Apple I'm just trying to figure out the categorization in your doc, like you were saying earlier. <laughs> like, what, what do these apps have to do with each other? Yeah, they're, they're my internet services, I guess, is the thinking there. My internet connected things. I guess everything's internet connected. I don't know, Joe. I'm just, well, just go with it. So Apple music, I'm an Apple music subscriber used to have Spotify in this place when I was for a few months on Spotify, but I came back to Apple music. It, there are no good streaming services, but Apple music is the least offensive, um, for the way I use it. Um, and if I, and if as, as, as happens on every streaming service, if my favorite music goes away, I can um, go legally purchase it somewhere <clears throat> and then uh, get it into Apple Music. And so um, that's that's why I like Apple Music. And then it will be in my music account and it syncs across all my devices. And I, yeah, and, and I think that the Apple Music app is, uh, you know, obviously the roots of iTunes are still there. Some of it, some of iTunes tendrils are still in it. The preferences dialogue is still modal. You can't access any other part of the app whenever you have it up, but I rarely go into preferences. So that's not a huge deal. And the app certainly got much better when they ripped a lot of the stuff out of it and separated podcasts out and TV out and all that stuff. So it's a fine app. I never have any trouble with it and it's fine. I do think it was for the better that they moved those other parts out of the app. 100%. And I, I, I remember when they originally introduced iTunes, it blew us away. Then we oh, had iTunes was the early, so good back in the day. Yeah. And so it's one of those 
incredible apps that has, I don't really like using the word evolved for a lot of uh, application development, but it is one time where I think it almost is appropriate because it used to be just about music. And then the focus was about making all of your experience for iPods rich and powerful and impress you with you know managing your 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 television shows that you were able to put on your iPod video and things like that. So that was how things like video wound up into iTunes in the first place and then why those things carried over to recent generations of the application. Then there was the day and time when we were really happy that you could run a backup and synchronize our earliest iPhones through iTunes and the the I kind of think of music today being just different enough that iTunes was its its old its old uh its old man <laughs> its dad and music today is like the <laughs> the the child uh, that has uh taken the baton and is run with it and iTunes was re- able to retire so i think that it is really impressive what apple has done with it over the years I guess it is it it's still like if you look at the original iTunes or at least early versions of iTunes and look at music they feel like the same app to me. I mean certainly the skin has changed a little basically with the the skin of the operating system. Um iTunes has always been this is so interesting. iTunes has always been a little bit of a preview of what's coming in terms of the design of uh Apple uh interfaces. And this is very much a big Sur interface. Like, look at the, how wide it is, and um, the way it, it it grays out when you when you when it's not the active application. It very much looks like Big Sur. I think it, at least the screenshot. I haven't used Big Sur, but the screenshots that I've seen of Big Sur. Yeah, um, I agree. This is TJ breaking in from the edit bay here. I realized when I was editing this episode that I missed two applications in my dock in that section that come after Apple Music, and those are Safari and Chrome. Those are my web browsers. Um, I use Chrome as my primary browser. Safari is in my dock because I do use it occasionally, and it's nice to just be able to go down to my dock and click it. Chrome is, um, let's face it, it's the most widely used browser. I believe it's the best browser as a web developer who does work mostly on the back end, but cut my teeth on the front end, uh, HTML and CSS, and um, I use Chrome a lot still for that purpose, and it has the best developer tools available, and it's the most widely compatible with all the various extensions. There are certain extensions that I use that are only available in the Chrome ecosystem, and I suppose you could use Brave or Opera or even Microsoft Edge now, which is based on Chromium, uh, but I choose to use Chrome. Uh, it syncs with my Google account, and it's great. So um, I know certain people have issues, and I think Joe uses Brave because he has issues with the way Google Chrome uh, collects data or is perceived to collect data. So it's a perfectly valid choice. But since I'm breaking in from the edit bay to <laughs> insert these apps that I missed in my doc, he can't really uh, add to or refute that. Uh, so anyway, back to the episode. Uh, all right, so then the final section on my doc is the largest, and it is my development tools. So I'm going to assume, Joe, that you have none of these tools, and I'm just going to blow through them and not sure. ask for your opinion on them. The first one is actually a web app. It is a Chrome app that I've just said, hey, just you know, so that I can have in the doc. And I've I've had to change the offensive icon to something less offensive, uh, <laughs> which I have to oh, do dear. once in a while when it updates. It's not offensive. as I, I don't mean offensive in terms of uh, morally or something. I just mean in terms of my design sensibilities. Oh. And it's Actually, okay. it, it's actually just, I've just rounded the application icon because it was huge and square and ugly. Um, 
which is interesting because some of the other icons in my Docker square, but they don't bother me. Anyway, uh, it is Cacher. Um, it is a web service that basically gives you a view into your gists. Uh, that is a GitHub a service uh, where you basically have code snippets. And so I have various code snippets and I have um, workflows and things that I have in here. Uh, so I access this uh, often enough that it deserves to be in my doc. It's where I save code snippets and code things that I want to remember or come back to or, you know, workflows that I want to, uh, you know, spin up a new DigitalOcean server or something like that. The next application on my doc is Transmit. I've waffled around a lot on my FTP app, um, I used CyberDuck for a while. Uh, my main reason for coming back to Transmit, there are some things that annoy me about Transmit, and I've submitted them. Uh, I've talked to the team, and, um, well, let me let me come back to that in a minute. So the thing that I don't like about CyberDuck is that it does not have any way to, not any reasonable way to sync your bookmarks for your various uh, FTP things. And the DevOps that I do, uh, the servers that I manage, there are a lot of little servers. We don't have a big monolithic server, um, or at least my clients don't. Um, this is not actually for my day job. This is I moonlight and do DevOps. And um, I, I we have a lot of, every, every client basically has their own little server. And so I have a lot of FTP bookmarks. And so keeping those in sync across my devices uh, is something that I am interested in doing. CyberDuck has no good way to do this, even though um, it's, in other ways, a decent application, and it does something that I wish Transmit would do, which is let me set the enter key to open directories instead of rename the file. Uh, This is something I meant to mention when we were on the Finder um, part. Uh, Finder, by default, when you hit enter, renames, it, it goes into rename mode for whatever you have highlighted I have an application that modifies Finder to let me use Enter to navigate, which is a much more sane way to navigate to Finder with your keyboard. Transmit has no way, it is commando or nothing for opening your folder or file. And that really frustrates me because I cannot fly through the directory structure the way I can in Finder or Cyberduck. Uh, However, uh, Transmit is a really well-polished interface and it has... um, uh, really good bookmark syncing uh, with tra- the, the um, Panic account. Um, I have talked to the folks at Transmit at Panic about giving an, a preference for Enter to Navigate. They will not even consider it. They said, "Well, no, we want it to work exactly like Finder, and we don't want to clutter it up with preferences and options." I mean, it's literally just a checkbox. It says, "Use Enter to Navigate." That's what Cyberduck has, <sighs> and it's really frustrating because. Um, it's a good app otherwise, um, and and it's a developer-focused app, and develop, I don't know a single developer who says, I want to press two buttons on my keyboard to navigate through the with my keyboard rather than, than the enter key. The enter key is the return key, whatever you want to call it. It is the way that, that developers navigate through things. So it's really frustrating, but it is it is where I've landed again. Uh, I did discover, though, that I it's, they used to have an iOS app, but it doesn't exist anymore, and I think they've pulled it. I think that they just got frustrated dealing with Apple's garbage and pulled it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Transmit. Uh, the next application is iTerm. Every developer is going to need to use the terminal, and I use the terminal a lot, um, and I... Find the native terminal application in macOS to be uh, not sufficient, and so I use iTerm, um, and I use Fish for my um, terminal emulator. Uh, the nice thing about iTerm, uh, uh, well, I think there are ways to get the built-in terminal to do it. By default, it is ZSH. It used to be Bash. Um, I'm probably speaking a foreign language to you, Joe. Um, I use Fish. 
most of the time. Fish has really great um, memory and autocomplete and, and lots of features. Occasionally, something I want to use is incompatible in Fish or some command I want to issue, and so I'll drop into ZSH by just typing ZSH. Um, anyway, iTerm is a great application. Uh, you know, tabs and every other feature you can think of in a mon- modern uh, terminal emulator. Uh, so that is iTerm. Oh, and uh, you can store, basically, um, there's a setting in pr- in the preferences pane that says where it stores its settings. So it doesn't have a sync account per se. Like, whoever makes iTerm does not provide accounts for syncing your settings. However, because you can store settings anywhere you want, I store them on Google Drive, which syncs across my devices, and it's like syncing my settings. What are you syncing about? I'm sorry, go ahead. <sighs> Joe, 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 Joe. Um, so the next application is Sublime Text. It is a fantastic text editor. It is my default text editor. Um, if I'm not working in one of my IDEs, which is usually PHP Storm, then I'm opening stuff in Sublime Text. And Sublime Text is the only application I know of that can open 100 gigabyte SQL dump files. Uh, it'll take a while, but it'll open it, and you can you can navigate through there and look at the dump. So Sublime Text is a fantastic text editor. Uh, the next application in my doc is Visual Studio Code. Um, I mostly only use this to resolve um, merge conflicts. Um, I know there are tools like Kaleidoscope and stuff. I actually find Visual Studio Code's tools for reserve, resolving merge conflicts to be the best. Um, and so that's primarily what I use it for. Um, I I do keep up to... I do uh, use Visual Studio Code as my IDE. That's uh, integrated development environment for those of you who need to know that. Um, I do use it for an IDE just to keep up with it because I like what Microsoft is doing with Visual Studio Code. It can get me, I'd say, 90% of the way there in terms of what PHP Storm provides me, but it's not like I just, I live in PHP Storm, which brings me to my next item in my doc, which is PHP Storm. It is a, um, it is a huge, big Java application and I couldn't live without it. It's, it's, and it's gotten better. I would say in the early days, I had a hard time switching to it when I got really serious about PHP development because it was a little bit buggy and a huge memory hog. And we had less Ram in our computers in those days. And it was a little bit CPU intensive, but the intelligence it brings about your code base and the things that you can do and the time saving stuff. And and with computers these days, there's, I, I, I feel like if you're a serious PHP developer, you should be using PHP Storm. That's all I'll say about that, because most people probably don't care. Um, the <laughs> next application on my doc is Sublime Merge. It is a, a Git GUI. It is, uh, it is how I do Git. Um, I, am, I can use Git in the command line. I'm very familiar with it, and occasionally I'll make myself live with Git in the command line for a while, just keep myself fresh on it. But I'm a very visual thinker, and so um, I use Sublime Merge, and I find that it most matches the paradigm of using Git in the command line, and it brings the same command palette that Sublime Text uses. It's made by the same people, and so you can press Command-Shift-P and brings up the command palette, and then you can do everything with the keyboard, basically. Um, otherwise, it gives you a visual representation of your commit history, and it gives you visual diffs and, and all that good stuff that you would expect from a Git client. It is it is by far and away the best Git client I've ever used. Um, and I used to be a Tower user, and I switched to Sublime Merge. So, and you know, most Mac centric people swear by Tower. So that should tell you something. I switched to Sublime Merge. Finally, on my doc is Microsoft Remote Desktop. And that is where I uh, have been using my laptop mostly for my Mac stuff, and I've kept my tower, my Hackintosh, booted into Windows. 
And so 25 to 30% of my time at work these days is spent in Windows doing C-sharp development. And so I will, um, on, on specifically Windows stuff. And so I have to be in Windows and I will remote into Windows to do that. And I have it set up with uh, various ports on my router so that I can actually load the web pages from my Mac browser. And then basically the remote desktop just gives me a window into the editor that I need to edit code in. That is the applications on my dock. Some honorable mentions, some things uh, like, for instance, Bartender um, does not have a dock icon, but I could not live without it. It cleans up the menu bar. There's so many applications that live in the menu bar. You can't disable them or the functionality is in the menu bar. And uh, yeah, I have several things that I've hidden away from my menu bar because it's too cluttery for me. Uh, that hopefully paradigm is is changing in Big Sur. Um, I like what Apple's doing there. It'll probably take some time for that to be uh, really good. So I'm looking forward to that, and I won't need Bartender after that. Command Shift 4, I know we have Command Shift 5 now, which gives you a live interactive, like all kinds of tools. I find Command Shift 4 to be a sufficient screenshot tool and much faster. Uh, it gives you a crosshairs, or if you want to take a whole window, just press the space bar and then click. Um, that's how I take screenshots. You said that as though Command Shift 4 was an application unto itself. It is. I mean, it's the image capture application providing all those features. But yes, it is. Uh, Command Shift 4 is the way I think I hadn't of it. thought of it that way. I just yeah. thought of it as part of the operating system, but I guess you're right. It is an application that lives in the utilities folder, but it is kind of part of the uh, operating system. Uh, so then there's Docker. Uh, that is pretty much how all local development happens these days. Uh, I have a, uh, for instance, I have a a local instance running in Docker of the Night Owl site that I do any dev on for the Night Owl site. Um, I recently, right before we launched this show, actually finished um, a complete, a completely new version of Night Owl. It's not even, it wasn't even upgrade or something like that. To the, no, it's a completely new infrastructure for Night Owl, built all custom in PHP um, with the Slim framework, and I finished that. I used Docker for the um, local environment for that and for all my other environments as well. Forecast is what I use for um, encoding MP3s and chapters into um, uh, for, for podcasting. Logic is what I use to edit those podcasts. Mosaic is a fantastic application. I have it set so that when I'm dragging a window and I hold down command option, uh, then I have options that pop up at the top of the screen, like full screen, large left, large right. Those are custom things that I've said take up almost all the screen, but just leave a sliver over on the left or the right. Center. Um, and then left or right. Um, so that is a fantastic app that I highly recommend. Um, unfortunately, I don't know a way to screenshot it because it's kind of an overlay over your window. So, um, huh. But I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, because I'm a remote worker, uh, Zoom is ha- how all my meetings happen. Um, it's, a, it's fine. It's a fine service. And then, of course, uh, Spotlight Search is, even though I ha- even some of these applications in the dock, sometimes I just do command space and type the name and hit enter, and it comes right up. That's pretty much an application launcher for me. Interesting. That is my stuff. Nice collection there, TJ. You're a professional you. Mac power user, I can tell. <laughs> I am. Unfortunately, Joe, you have a hard out, and I thought this might happen because we're talking about our applications. You have a hard out. You have to stop recording, and this is going to be a long episode if, if we go on. I know I've done a lot of talking, yeah. so hopefully oh, next okay. week, hopefully next week, Joe, you'll get to do a lot of talking, and we're going to make this a two-parter. So you're going to talk about the applications in your doc next week. And then the next week, we'll be able to let everybody talk about their docs, and we'll listen to them. So. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. So, um, Joe, I know that you've had some things to say about the applications in my docs, so if people want to talk to you about that, where are they going to do that at? 
They'll find me on Twitter. I am at JCS Darnell. And if you want to uh, praise me or chide me or get into conversation or arguments with about my doc, um, you can find me on Twitter at TJ Draper Pro. And you can find this show on Twitter at Night Owl FM. You can find the show notes for this episode at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash six. And uh, we would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review that will help people find the show. And uh, let us know how we're doing as well. Uh, you, can, you can drop that into the comments as well. So uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk about Joe's Doc next week. Yes. And my iPhone 12. Ooh. <laughs> nice. Nice.